It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Good evening. This is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food, and today it's a show about bees and honey. And there's something that's almost mythical that I think happens on the west side of Ann Arbor. There's a house there, one of the charming houses with a charming little porch, and they have a table with some honey on it, honey itself, or cream honey, other such honey products. And there's a little wooden box, and you can put some money into it, and that's how they sell it, just right there, the honor system, and there it is. And that's something, there are a lot of charming things about the west side of Ann Arbor, and I think that's one of them. But... The idea of honey and bees has really grabbed my attention lately, and I've been joined in the studio here by Roger Sutherland, who's the president of the Southeast Michigan Beekeepers Association. Good evening. Good evening. And it is swarm season, correct? Right. Uh, In Michigan, May and June are considered probably the height of of swarm season. Uh, In the south, it would be sooner. This is a period when those successful colonies or hives that have wintered over, uh, and they often have a limited space, so they literally overcrowd their headquarters, their their Mm -hmm. nest. The queen can no longer find a place to lay eggs. There's no place to store honey. And so uh, in this this period, then, about half of the bees will leave with the old queen. And they will uh, often fly not very far from the nest, and cluster on a branch on a tree or on the side of somebody's house or almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then the scout bees are out looking for a new uh, place to, to occupy. It could be maybe some other neighbor's house or another tree, a cavity in a tree. And uh, so this is a period when we try to encourage people to look to look for these swarms, report them right away, and go to our website, sambabees.org, and we have a list of beekeepers throughout the southeastern Michigan, and we could even find some others in the state and try to get these swarmed for two reasons. One, because we can start a new colony hmm. uh, with the, the swarm, and two, it may prevent a problem if the bees did enter somebody's uh, housing because once they establish a nest in a, in a house or uh, some other dwelling— then it becomes a real problem, and oh, we yeah. really don't have a good solution. Right. And you were mentioning, before we went on there, there there's a swarm bees poem that, that's... Yes. Um, the, um, the poem goes something like this, and you have to look at the economics of the 1800 to really understand the value. A swarm in May is worth a load of hay, and a swarm in June is worth a silver spoon. And a swarm in July, you let them fly. Now, there's a little more to the poem than that. But basically, we need to get these swarms early in the season because they must build up. They must establish a new nest. 
They must uh, store enough, uh, raise uh, lots of The queen has to lay lots of eggs and raise lots of bees, and they have to store about 60 to 80 pounds of honey just for themselves because bees don't hibernate. They use honey all winter long. Mm. And so that's a major problem with beekeepers to try to keep these bees alive. And for the last uh, 15, 20 years, we have not had a good deal of success. Mm. Now, I'm looking at the swarm. You've shown me a picture here in the studio, and it's this incredible mass of, I think you said about 10,000 bees. In that swarm, there would be about 10,000 bees. On one branch, really. On one branch. A single branch. And and the scout bees uh, in that cluster are out looking for a new home. They find a cavity uh, or some suitable nest. They come back and they do a dance. Uh, the dance is uh, communicates three things: the direction for other bees to check out the, the new nest, the distance, and they even think that it communicates something about the size of the cavity. Hmm. And other bees will check this out. They come back and they do the same dance, and it's a little like voting, hmm. like the primary in your election. When you get enough people to vote, um, enough bees to agree that this is the new place. It should they they will leave immediately and go right to work on that on that new nest, um, and uh, when when we get swarm calls just like I did this morning, uh, I told the the individual call me on my cell phone because they may leave that cluster before I get there. And sure enough, I was about halfway to my destination. The phone rang and he said they just left, <sighs> and that happens, and we never know how long this is going to occur. Mm. And your organization, again, is the Southeastern Michigan Beekeepers Association. And that website you were saying is semba, S-E-M-B-A, bees.org. Right. So um, that's very interesting that you take reports of swarms. What are some of the other things that the organization well, does? Well, we try to help uh, help beekeepers, of course, with many educational projects. Um, on on the website, uh, we, my wife and I wrote a, a little booklet called Starting and Keeping Bees in Michigan, Information and Suggestion for the Beginning Beekeeper, because we are trying to encourage more people to keep bees for a variety of reasons, not only for their own enjoyment, perhaps some honey that they can harvest, but just to the improving the pollination, because that's if, if I say that honey is valuable, we need to say then that the the value of pollination is 10 times that. Hmm. One-third of the food that you put in your mouth is either directly or indirectly. um, The honeybee is responsible for the necessary pollination to produce the apple, the blueberry, the pumpkin, uh, the peach, the pear, the raspberry. And also, you must not forget the farmer who needs alfalfa seed or clover seed or Hmm. those kinds of seed. We need to have the honeybee for pollination. There are many other good pollinators, but it's the honeybee that's there in the spring when we really need them. So the and, and we also on the website try to help people with problems if they have bees in their wall. Uh, one section says, we, you have bees in your wall. What can be done? Yikes. <laughs> uh, we, we have uh, a bargain corner so that beekeepers can sell things to other beekeepers or sell to the general public. So there's the, and, and we advertise a lot of our educational programs through the website. And I've just seen one very interesting name of a program, The Art of Queen Rearing. You want to talk about that? Queen Rearing is very, very important in Michigan. Um, in the 
early 1900s up through maybe 1950, Michigan led the nation in queen rearing. Now, the queen, the the strength of the 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 strength of the colony is dependent on the strength of the queen. The queen is is responsible for laying laying eggs, and without that large number, uh, a, a hive is not going to be very successful. Mm. And so, what happened though in about 1950, people wanted to requeen their hives. Uh, queens may live three or four years, but we usually try to requeen every couple of years because queens fail. And they wanted more beekeepers wanted to do it in the spring. So we began to rely on the southeastern states like Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and so on to raise queens. We and, feel and we now— would, I'm sorry, we'd bring them— we would ship them here? Or that, bring them? Yes. We we buy our bees from the southeast. Okay. We buy them in packages, and we buy our queens. But those queens are reared for that environment, and so we feel that we need to change that in Michigan where we raise our own queens and requeen at a different time of the year. So right now we have class of 22 people meeting, uh, and they're learning the art of, of queen rearing under— uh, Dr. Larry Connor, who is a Michigan State graduate uh, in entomology, and he's conducting this class. And the idea is to uh, make these people of uh, el- el- not eligible, but uh, knowledgeable about raising queens and then selling them to other Michigan beekeepers. So we have then queens that are bred in Michigan to our climate rather than one in Georgia or Florida and things of that nature. So uh, we think that's a very, very important part of uh, our—not only for beekeepers, but just in general to increase the number of pollinators in Michigan. And that seems like it would actually be a big help to Michigan farmers overall. It is, very much so. Many of them don't realize it. Uh, Of course, a corn farmer doesn't require uh, doesn't require honeybees. Mm -hmm. But if you're in any kind of fruit fruit rearing, um, uh, it's certainly very valuable. Um, The for example, if you are if you're raising pumpkins, Mm. the more bees you have, uh, uh, that flower is only uh, available for pollination for one day, and it must be visited by a minimum of five bees or five visits during that time. Wow. And if the more visits, the bigger the pumpkin. And everybody wants the big pumpkin for Jack Land. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, uh, not only the quantity, but the quality of the fruit and vegetables were better. Okay. I'm talking now to Roger, S- Roger Sutherland. He's the president for the Southeast Michigan Beekeepers Association on Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to hear the great Louis Prima doing his take on perhaps one of the greatest songs ever. This is the theme from Winnie the Pooh. Once upon a time, there was a lovable bear named Winnie the Pooh. That's him. That's Winnie. Yeah, he's my buddy. And I never go any place without him. Kanga and Little Ruth. 
There's rabbit and piglet and there's owl, but most of all Winnie the Pooh. Come on, all you cats supposed to be friends of Winnie the Pooh. Let's join in with it. Come on, Kanga and Roots. Run, let's go. Oh, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Tubby little cubby all stuffed with fluff He's Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh Willy-nilly silly old bear I didn't hear no Eeyore I can't sing Roo, you ain't making it, man You're a bad cat for a kangaroo <laughs> Now come on, let's hear it Follow me Papa to the boot boot. Oh, Papa to the boot boot. Hop to boot boot yo. Hop to boot boot yo. Hop a dab a doot boot boot boot. Hop a dab a doot boot boot. Willie nearly silly yo bear. La 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 la. La 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 la. Treedle 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 tree. Treedle 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 tree. Poo 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 poo. Poo 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 poo. Didn't know that Winnie the Pooh was a jazz musician, but nonetheless, one of the most famous lovers of honey, Winnie the Pooh, that's Louis Prima. And this is WCBN, Pandora's Lunchbox, and I'm here with Roger Sutherland. He's the president of the Southeast Michigan Beekeepers Association. And Roger, you have a story about the true story of Winnie the Pooh. Yes, um, it's, I think uh, one of the m- more interesting stories in beekeeping lore. Um, actually, Winnie the Pooh probably doesn't like as honey as much as you think. Oh, really? What the bear is looking for in the hive are these little grubs, these little larvae uh, <laughs> instead of honey. But they'll eat honey, and so I don't want to destroy the myth. And, and of course, we we put our uh, our honey in bears because we use it for promotion. Right. But let me just tell you quickly the, the true story of Winnie the Pooh, or the, the bear called Winnie. Mm-hmm. In 1914, World War I was raging, and there was a young veterinarian from Winnipeg, Canada, who was drafted to go to France to be in charge of a cavalry unit. He left Winnipeg and went to White River, which is a major railroad town, where he met the rest of his troops. When he got there, somebody had shot a female black bear, leaving two orphan cubs. He bought one for $20, and he then named it Winnipeg. Hmm. And the troops loved this bear, a very playful bear, um, and they began to call it Winnie. Well, they they encouraged him, and he agreed to take the bear on on to the East Coast, where they were to go aboard the troop ship, when they got to Quebec, and uh, they asked him if they could take it further. So, again, everybody on the ship loved this playful bear called Winnie. When they got to London uh, in, to, in preparation to go to France, uh, they uh, people in, in London heard about this bear, and by this time the bears had been pretty much wiped out in uh, England. So Harry Coburn made a, a, an arrangement with the zoo that they could keep the, the bear— uh, as a tourist attraction, and when he came back from France in the, in, from the war, he would take it back to Canada, and uh, so uh, again, they they it was a real promotional. Uh, 
one of the visitors to the zoo was a small boy by the name of Christopher Robin. Oh. And Christopher Robin loved this bear. In fact, he encouraged, uh, he asked the zoo people if he could have his birthday party with Winnie, the bear. And he went home, uh, he had the birthday party, went home and named his teddy bear Winnie the Pooh. Ah. Well, his father saw a great opportunity for a child's story. His father was A.A. A. Milne, uh-huh. who was the author of Winnie the Pooh. And, of course, he made uh, the bear into something that really loves honey. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we do package our, our honey in bears. And, uh, but in actuality, probably they don't like honey as much as the story. But I want you to still encourage your children uh, to believe the story. <laughs> Uh, even though it may not be a hundred percent true, so. I think I think the difference, technically, scientifically, is that cartoon bees love honey. Cartoon yeah. bears love honey. Uh, that's correct. The Actually, car- I think oh, yeah. cartoon bears do love honey. I think Yogi Bear likes honey too. Uh, I think so, probably, probably so. And, uh, and, uh, but there are many interesting stories in, in beekeeping. You know. Well, certainly, if you go back far enough, beekeeping is probably the oldest form of agriculture known to mankind. Really, there are reports of uh, bees being kept in 3,000 BC hives that have been found in the uh, uh, Egyptian area and so on. Mm-hmm. First, beekeepers were probably not beekeepers, but they were bee finders. They would simply go out and look for for honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as food is concerned, honey was probably not a major food at first. Really? Um, but it was used more for medicine. Um, it was certainly the only form of sweetening uh, known for many, many hundreds of years. Okay. Um, and but a major use was the making of mead or honey wine long before grapes and other uh, uh, fruits were used for. And of course, they had a, a custom in in that period uh, where at a at a wedding. They would toast the bride and groom with enough of this, uh, with this honey wine, and they would give the young bride and groom enough honey wine to last until the next full moon. And so the term honeymoon ah. came out of that, of that practice. It also was thought to ensure uh, a fertility kind of thing, where uh, they would ensure a male offspring. And so it, it, as far as food is concerned, of course, it's being used more for food, medicine now. Um, they've recently found it has great antibiotic properties, mm. uh, using it in wound dressings and for burns. And so it's uh, it's still a very valuable product, even though there are many other sweeteners on the market. I didn't know that uh, honey was used. I mean, I understood ingesting honey. Some have said that it's a, it's a, has good medicinal properties, but I wasn't aware of the healing wounds and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a major find recently. At least it's been tested. It's always been known somewhat. But it's uh, be, be, becoming more more prevalent now, and of course we have a number of people who who don't use honey for uh, for medication, but actually take the bee stings for multiple sclerosis or uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, uh, many of these autoimmune diseases are thought to be helped by taking bee stings, and so many of us beekeepers are. Uh, have inquiries on how we can get how they can get bees to take bee stings for uh, for that purpose. Do they literally have? They're in the presence of a bee and it stings them. They, or is they, it... they actually take home a bottle of bees or a hive of bees. Wow! They will take a, a small forceps and put the bee on. If it's a rheumatoid arthritis, 
joint, they will put the bee sting uh, right on that joint. I did not know. That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I'm talking to Roger Sutherland, who's the president of the Southeast Michigan Beekeepers Association. And I think we're going to ask Winnie the Pooh's opinion on some of these bee issues in just a moment. Again, as we were talking, um, we, we think scientifically it's been proven that cartoon bees love honey. Cart- I keep saying cartoon bee. Well, I'm sure cartoon bees and real bees love honey. Cartoon bears love honey. Real bears have other tastes. But we'll hear what Winnie the Pooh has to say about that. <laughs> Dum-dee-dum, hum-dee-dum-dum, I'm so rumbly in my tumbly. Time to munch an early luncheon, time for something sweet. Oh, I wouldn't climb this tree if a poo flew like a bee. But I wouldn't be a bear then. So I guess I wouldn't care then. Bears love honey and I'm a poo bear. So I do care. So I'll climb there. I'm so rumbly in my tumbly. Time for something sweet. It's the tasteful thing to do. Be it ten or twelve or two. For any time is food time When you set your clock on poo time You know the bears love honey And I'm a poo bear And so I do care And so I'll climb there I'm so rumbly In my tumbly Time for something sweet To eat just then, the branch on which Pooh Bear was standing broke, and he suddenly dropped ten feet onto the branch below him. If only I hadn't... And as Pooh said that, he bounced twenty feet onto the next branch. You see what I'm not to do? As Pooh tried to explain, he turned head over heels and crashed onto another branch thirty feet below. Well, it all comes, I suppose, out from liking honey so much. As Pooh said that, he waved goodbye to the last branch, spun around three times, and flew gracefully into a gorse bush. Ouch, ouch. Poor Winnie the Pooh. And yes, he loves honey. The cartoon bears love honey. Just reestablishing that. This is Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN. Coming up at 7, it's Arwolf and Face the Music. I'm here right now with Roger Sutherland, president of the Southeast Michigan Beekeepers Association. And how did the association get started? Well, the association goes dates back to 1935, when beekeepers realized that uh, they needed help uh, from other beekeepers uh, to share ideas. Uh, and, and so that's how the organization got started. Personally, I got started in about 1965. I had just finished graduate school here at the U of M and had a chance to we moved out into the country. My wife and I are both farm people. And uh, so um, I was sitting reading the paper uh, one evening, and I read an article about how DDT, which has now been outlawed here, was uh, killing off not only harmful insects, but it was killing off a lot of the helpful insects. Mm. And that if you wanted to have fruit trees for pollination, you want to have garden and have pollination, perhaps it would be wise to have some honeybees. And I thought, 
gee, this is this would be a great activity for the kids. We were looking for other activities as well uh, for 4-H projects and so on. And so I, I knew nothing about beekeeping uh, other than an entomology class that I had taken here at the university. And there you don't learn anything about beekeeping. Uh, you learn a lot of scientific jargon. and, and uh, So I just moved. I was sent away to... And, uh, and many of us start our bees by buying packages of bees from the southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a package of bees involves a little screened-in box with about 10,000 bees, roughly, uh, and a, uh, a mated queen. So you get 10,000 bees in the mail. Uh, that, well, uh, yes, they did come in the mail. Uh, more t- today, uh, the mail doesn't work quite as well because there's a lot of delay along the way. And so we have beekeepers who load up, who take their trucks and trailers and go down to Georgia or Mississippi or the southeast and load these up. And thousands of these packages are brought uh, up every spring to uh, to start new beekeepers or uh, beekeepers who have had big winter losses. And we've had tremendous losses lately. So to replace those dead hives, uh, the, the package bees uh, become very, very important. In fact, they're almost hard to, to get in the spring uh, because of the great demand. So that's kind of how I got started. And uh, I, I, my wife and I have both been very involved in the educational aspects. Uh, uh, all of our, we have 12 grandchildren, and we've been able to present programs in all of the schools of, of those 12 grandchildren, one 25 now and one's four. So we've had a great opportunity to help educate the public, not only the, through classroom presentations, but giving talks and things of that nature. So that's kind of how and, – and everybody who gets started in beekeeping has an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's something that well, we could do several. We could do several shows about the stories about beekeeping. I, think, you could. I think, mm-hmm. think we could. And well, maybe if you'd like to come back sometime, we could discuss that if, if you have the time. Well, I love to talk. So Okay. <laughs> Me too. We all love to talk. Uh, well, thank you, Roger. Uh, Roger Sutherland is the president of the Southeast, Southeastern Michigan Beekeepers Association. And you are the president of the group, and you've really shared a lot of interesting information with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And just to wrap things up a little bit here, there's a number of interesting events going on in town. People buzzing like bees getting events in June ready. Uh, the Atomic Art Collective is opening their new their new home, their new warehouse in Ann Arbor. They have been an art collective without a home art co- art cooperative. They're now going to be at 613 North Main in Ann Arbor. They're going to have an opening celebration on the first day of summer, June 21st. They're opening Saturday, June 21st. They're going to be open from 6 p.m. until 11 p.m. plus, it says here. And there is a fee. You can find out about that at the door. Atomic Art Collective, 613 North Main Street. And also the Arab International Festival is coming to Dearborn on about seven blocks of Warren Street in Dearborn. And one of the things they're going to have, aside from the music and Ferris wheels and hummus and all kinds of food, they're going to have coffee cup readings. So that's all at the Arab International Festival. That's going to be on this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Dearborn. And also, we've had some guests on from the Severed Unicorn Heads group of Ypsilanti. They're going to have a Severed Unicorn Head birthday party on Sunday, June 22nd at Dreamland Theater in Ypsilanti starting at 6 p.m. with music and people and cupcakes and all kinds of stuff. So that's at the Dreamland Theater Sunday at 6. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike for at least that long. 
And uh, thank you, Roger, for being on our show with us. Glad to do it. And coming up next, Arwolf will help us to face the music. And in the meantime, we've got, uh, we've got uh, Fats Domino swarming in to sing our swan song for today. Thank you for listening. And Pandora's Lunchbox back 6.30 next week. You will delve with wonderful charm But I love to hold you in my own Only you can feel me like you do So hold that kiss for a long, long while you know I love you, honey child. I love to hear you whisper low. You know you really thrill me so. Only you can thrill me like you do. So please don't put me on that ship. You know I cannot help myself. I am happy as a baby boy. You ain't nothing but a bundle of joy. Only you can thrill me like you do. Your legs and pigeon toes. You know I love you, goodness knows. You will delve with wonderful charm, but I love to hold you in my own. No one can feel me like you do So hold that kiss for a long, long while You know I love you, honey child I am happy as a baby boy You ain't nothing but a bundle of joy Only you can feel me like you do Bend your legs and pigeon toes You know I love you, goodness knows It's 7 o'clock. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 megahertz. We're the voice of the underground intellectual resistance movement, student-run experimental radio from the University of Michigan with lots and lots of community involvement. My name is Arwolf. It's time to face the music. We'll begin with Bonfart. It means a, a trip on a locomotive, I think. It's... Ah. This is your national anthem. It's uh, very silly. All rise.